You're about to enter the Double Dragon Podcast with Shane Greenwood, owner of Double Dragon Gym in the Sutherland Shire, Trent Lawrence, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt, and active pro Muay Thai fighter, Hugh O'Donnell. Are you ready? Fight! Fight! Welcome back to End of the Double Dragon Podcast, episode 47. It's me, Shane Greenwood here, as always, hosting. And with my other co-host, I have Trenton Lawrence. Hello. And here are Donald. Hi. How are we today, fellas? I'm okay. I'm We're actually reunited yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> We're in the same place. <laughs> At the fabulous podcast studios of Cal Everett. <laughs> I missed it. That's it. Oh, the lovely game memorability around us. You know, it's very inspiring. It's better. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Bit of fight talk this week, as always, from there. But like, uh, not a major lot going on. But uh, there was the one event on last night uh, in Bangkok, Thailand. Uh, interesting enough, the uh, from there, uh, one of the refs that was on board was uh, Elias. Um, can't say your last name, <laughs> but yeah, Elias. Like, uh, he's one of the coaches at Sitsitong, but he's like um, one of the best refs in Australia. And also, like, you know, one of the top refs in, like, uh, IFMA as well. Uh, it was great to see, like, an Australian guy <coughs> being represented on, like, uh, one of the, what, at least Asia's largest uh, combat sports of, uh, promotion in the world. Yeah, he uh, refs in big fights as well. Yeah. That one. It's like, you know, definitely if, you, if you're doing, if you do, who's doing all the Muay Thai fights, he's definitely the man that you want to be on board. He does a fantastic job. Yeah, he's a world-class ref. Yeah, good on him. So, um, let's talk about some of these fights that we saw in one. Uh, so, we'll go to Muay Thai first. So, uh, which, uh, who, who did we have on that night, you? Okay, so, let's just get the card up. This was a Muay Thai heavy card. Like, this was probably half Muay Thai, and they had no... Well, because it was in Bangkok. So, like, they did the show. It was all... I, I feel like they've ditched the 10-ounce gloves now. Like, I don't see a lot of... Like, every fight on this card was in the 4-ounce gloves, so maybe that's... I, I mean, like, it was in a ring, though. Like, I don't understand. Like, there's just nothing standard on one. But, like, yeah, so there was... The show being in Bangkok, I guess, meant they had to uh, stack it with a little... Make it a little bit more Muay Thai heavy for the local crowd. So it was in a ring. Um, who did we have up first? Oh, yeah, the first Muay Thai fight was uh, Cham Wak Tong, fighter Muay Thai, versus Charlie Peters from the UK. And Charlie Peters looks... Like, he does not suit the one weigh-in protocol because, I don't know what he looked like weighing in, but he didn't look good. Nah, Did you well, see this one? Well, like, I uh, saw on his Instagram, well, you posted it to me, like, he goes, well, good job, made the weight 60, 70 kilos twice. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, one's got their own weigh-in protocols where, like, basically, you have to weigh in a couple times. So, basically, you're just not coming in super ooge. Yeah, you kind of just got to sit on weight for a few days, and I don't think it's him because he's, like, a very large... 67 kilo bloke. And then on the other side of the ring, you got Chan Mok Tong, who probably weighed in soaking wet. Like, could probably make... I don't know what weight. Chan Mok Tong could probably fight at 63 if he really wanted to. Like, he's not a big... Like, not a super shredded... Like, doesn't carry a lot of muscle at 67 kilo. Nah, he's just coming in trash ass. Yeah. <laughs> look fun. But, like, also look like... These dudes in the ring look separated by... Three weight classes, I would say. Like these were not the same size guys, but uh, Charlie Peters kind of it was. Ma- he was making his one championship debut. He's a pretty well known guy, 
around the world. Um, like largely because he, I think his last fight he beat Liam Harrison. That was like a big fight for the who was going to be the number one ranked in the UK. But this one was just, it kind of went how I would say most pundits probably expected it to go. Like Chan Tong probably took the first round off. Like he didn't really do a whole lot for the first round. And like Charlie Peters, fair play to him was being probably doing what he had to do. Like he was just kind of trying to get aggressive and stifle and just work his hands. Especially like being the bigger dude and wearing those tiny little gloves. Probably the best thing to do is just to get in close and just sort of try to just stifle with the hands. Because Chan Tong is just like a deadly Muay Cow fighter. He just wants to... Once he grabs a hold of you, you're in some trouble. So I guess the plan on Charlie Peter's end was just to kind of sit his heels and sort of get his hands going as Chamok Tong tried to enter for the clinch. But, I mean, I guess he put some leather on Chamok Tong, but really I don't think... Like, outside of, like, Chamok Tong didn't really seem to be getting to work in the first round. But once the second and third went on, as soon as Chamok Tong latches onto you, it's just... You're in trouble. Like, and then particularly kind of built up through the second round and then in the third just put on an absolute knee clinic on Charlie Boy Peters in that third round. Really just, I mean, just like forward pressure just latches on, gets a lot, especially because like, I think we talked about the last time Charmok Tong fought. The little gloves kind of suit his clinching style because he can really reach around deep with his, with his forearm around sort of the back of the neck, back of the head and just actually grip his arm. And yeah, once he does that, like you just put on just a disgusting barrage of knees yeah, on Charlie Peters midsection. This is like you know when you everyone just clinches in Muay Thai in general when you're practicing or just doing clinch training. You don't you rarely ever do it in gloves. Mm. And it's the little gloves kind of there, but that's a pretty easy transfer of them. Yeah, it's good. It's good to see. Like cause, yeah, it suits the really authentically Thai style of clinching without gloves on. Like you can just group his arms together and things like that. And his grip is just so tight. Like he just has such a strangle in the clinch. Like completely just like nullified the size disadvantage as soon as they were clinched up and that third round just absolutely I think like through the second and third I think Chamok Tom style kind of suits five round fights better but he still makes it work in three round fights because he just zapped all of Charlie Boy's energy with knees and then just kind of up the ante in the third because they were loud like if you watch the fight back like the way the ring was mic'd up you can really hear him just walloping knees into Charlie's midsection and he just couldn't really press forward or anything after that. Just had no juice left. And it's like, you know, it's probably just a smart game plan in general, even though it's his, probably his game plan. It was going to be his game plan, but just knowing, like, Charlie just coming so big and just probably really drained as well. Yeah. Just got to stick there, start sticking those knees into that liver. Yeah, trying to fight a forward, like, a relentless clinch fighter when you've just sucked yourself out and made a big weight cut, especially if you've done it at one championship where you had to hold weight for a few days. That's trouble. That's, like, probably the worst style matchup to fight. If you've made a big, ugly wake up. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. But I guess that's kind of like the point of the wake up protocol they have. Is like, it's not going to advantage you to be huge. Like, I think Charlie could probably do with being up at 70 kilo. Yeah. But like, I don't know what he walks around at, but he looks huge for that yeah. weight. Like, um, well, you, you've been to England before and trained as well. So like, you, you think that's a big culture over there in terms of like, you know, you just have to get down as low as you can get? Um, oh, I don't think they're like, tremendously different to any other western country really but i think it's just a culture like similar to australia where guys just think like if you can make it you should do it but like yeah i mean i guess maybe against another westerner it's advantageous to just hold that much muscle but it's not really going to make up the difference once you link up in the clinch with chamak tong like you're just in trouble (laughs) but moving up the card 
don't know if you saw this one. It was a uh, Superlek, Yap Munan. Mm. One of my favorites. I was fighting um, someone I wasn't particularly familiar with, uh, Lau Chetra, who they announced his record. He had a lot of fights, like, probably more fights than I expected. I think they said he had like 120 wins, something somewhere in the in the neighborhood of 150 fights. Is he Cambodian? Um, yeah, Cambodian, or maybe Lao Jin. Lao. Lao, yeah. But uh, Superlek fought like he was. Like, you're playing Street Fighter and you're just going to press one button over and over again. <laughs> like, just kick, 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 kick. <laughs> it was all it was the whole fight. I recommend watching this fight if you just want to see somebody just like, just a torrent of kicks from the same side. I didn't listen to the commentary on. I rarely ever watch events now with commentary on because it just pisses me off sometimes. <laughs> when it's the two bites, but yeah, I just wonder if Chevelle pull out the old, he's got more kicks than a chorus line. <laughs> the super lek. Damn. I didn't hear the commentary on this one either, but I, actually, now that you mentioned it, I would like to hear what the voice had to say about it. That's going back back in those days when, like, you know, Nisa Fury and Evolution used to be on Fox. <laughs> yeah, but this fight, like, was just super lek kicking like a madman. Yeah. There was nothing else to it, just sending the kicks over. Like, especially when it's like, you can see when these guys are finding little gloves, like, if you put a kick. Over the glove, there is absolutely no defense there. Like you're just kicking somebody in the dome. It's like you can put if you put your glove over over your face to block a uh, round kick in those little four ounce gloves against a tie. That's cute. That's yeah. like, <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, it's like that, that game doesn't work anymore. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing shooting you there. But if you just send that kick wherever, on rib, over arm, overhand, just yeah. kick, changing levels, just kick, kick, kick. It was yeah. awesome. It's like um. Like I said, I don't mind the Muay Thai and the small gloves, really, from, <clears throat> from what it looked like, even especially like all the last night's performances. But it's like, you know, it was fairly entertaining all around. Yeah, it's funny as well because like I've heard um, maybe on commentary or just people discussing it, they say like when you get these super experienced ties coming into front of the little gloves, they wonder, does it disadvantage them because they're so used to fighting in 10-ounce gloves? But it really seems like the ties are taking to it better than the Westerners. Mm. Like it's actually just further advantage to the ties yeah. probably just because like a lot of these guys are so experienced they bring so much craft to the ring it doesn't really matter what size gloves you put in they have the eye it's just like from the the end of the westerners that have to fight these ties it's just like just one less line of defense that they have because it just really seems like they take it to a fine mm. and yeah it's like um sometimes with the gloves from there you can just you can <coughs> get behind sometimes like the EMF muff kind of style and just bang. Yeah. For that, but like, really, like if you're gonna bang from there, it's like yeah, it's, it's like you know, those little gloves just kind of slip through the the guard pretty easily. You kind of just kind of rely on just wearing earmuffs and just go yeah, or just catch it on the arms like like a Dutch style and and bang off of that. So yeah. It's just too brutal. Yeah, you can't just like yeah guard up behind your forearms stuff like that. The way elbows and stuff slide through as well. Like same thing. If you're just sticking those tiny like, tiny gloves in front of your head, like. You're really not blocking anything. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, super like from there. Oof, man, those kicks. They're just whipping. Just but it's, it really is like someone said to him before the fight. It'd be funny if you only throw one thing the whole time. Because mm. he was just like, not interested in doing a whole lot of anything else. Just kick, 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 mm. kick. But it was working. But the timing on it was beautiful. It's just like any time that sort of like um, his opponent tried to kind of reset and then sort of just press in and send his weight forward there's just another kick waiting for him but it's the same thing like you see people like when you're training when it's like okay everyone let's throw 20 kicks if you're wondering why you do that it can work in a fight yeah. 
<laughs> just gonna like yeah have the conversation says let it go let it go let it go a couple of times but like he, he also changed his levels pretty good it's like there was times where he just goes I'm just gonna throw this rib kick like four times in a row yeah but there's times where he goes up down as well yeah it's like he's kicking on repeat and he's kicking the way you would just kick a tie pad over and over again just mm-hmm. for the sake of fitness yeah but like it's almost like he's kicking, he's pulling that foot back to the floor, and then he's looking to see when the next one's gonna go, just thinking on the fly. Yeah. And that's just such like a terrible thing to have to deal with. It's just like baseball bat shin just flying up from the ground over and over without like a second of reset. Because you see, that's what he's trying to do is like kind of like press forward as like Superleg would land off the kick, but there was just no pause reset time. It was just flying straight back up again. Fair play, Superleg. <laughs> yeah. Good to see him go on further. Moving up again is... Oh, we had... Well, see, this one, uh, Smoking Joe Nadawat versus Sammy Sanna. Good match. I thought this was a part of that. You know the kickboxing Grand Prix they announced? Mm. I'm pretty sure both of these dudes are in that. Oh, yeah. But this was a full tie fight. So it's kind of like weird. They used two guys that are in the tournament bracket they've already announced for a non-tournament fight. Yeah. It seems like that's what happened again. I didn't watch the commentary, so... But this was, I'm pretty sure that tournament is kickboxing and this was Muay Thai. So okay. they've already announced that whole tournament, but they don't mind still using the guys that are in it, which is unusual, but cool. This is a decent fight. Sammy Sanna has just like so much frame. Like he's so tall and lanky. And like you could see him sort of trying to like, like I think if you're fighting Joe Nadowit, a pretty good plan is just keep that dude the fuck away from you. Like, <laughs> don't get mid-range like, close. Yeah, you don't want to be anywhere in that kind of like, middle kind of like round punching range and I think like mm. that was sort of Sammy Sanders plan like he was using a lot off of his lead side and the range that like he could sort of he could stand far enough like Nadowitz like a fair bit sort of not just shorter in height but like he's got a lot less range than like, like Sammy Sanders has really long limbs like I never really noticed until I started watching this fight mm. how long his arms and legs are yeah. so he's kind of like teeping teeping the inside thigh they're like pretty crafty work off of his lead side but I think you could sort of just see, like, like he was sort of just point fighting the first round. Like, he was busy, particularly off of his lead side, and he was throwing a lot, but he was throwing nothing that was sort of badly deterring Joe. Like, he was just... I think Joe was kind of maybe getting a little bit frustrated. But, like... Uh, and then you could see from the second... This was a pretty close fight, all up, but you could see from the second round, I'm like, then Nadawat sort of just stopped kind of looking and then just added in that kind of explosive entry like it sort of just burst off of his feet start landing punches and for the most part what i saw in this fight is there was no like no one was landing with plan a like natawat would burst in sammy sander would have a shutdown tactic natawat would have to come back with something else and then so it was sort of like like a lot of good sort of chess playing in this fight but i think just when they would go tip for tap the person who would land with damage would be natawat whereas like Sammy Sander got a lot of things off, but they weren't sort of... They were deterrents rather than, like, game changers. Like, I didn't see Sammy Sander... Like, if you were looking at this fight on, like, pure volume, you'd feel like it was tip for tap. But then when you start to look at it, it's like... I think Nadawat was the only person, even though Sammy Sander kept it in a way that um, Nadawat, like, when he would land with impact, he'd keep them these scoring instances far apart. He wasn't really scoring himself. He was just sort of, like... Keeping that order away. Yeah. It's like, um, especially like if you just watch that fight, that just barbecue in that front leg. Yeah. Of Santa. And like, um, but like, Joe was pretty smart about it. Like, he, he started to light it up and then Santa would try and, like, you know, check it or try and tape up it. Then he would just explode entry with hands. 
But like you think about like sometimes you get used to those tempos like it might be one two, and then the kick will happen. Yeah. Just like going one two three four, and then he'll throw the kick behind it. Yeah, it was consistency. The low kick kind of made the difference as well. I think that sort of kept Sammy Sammy in one place a little, pretty well because after the first round, even like it didn't seem like like the way that Nato was throwing it that it was landing really heavy or he was trying to land it really heavy but I think he's just got such strong legs that yeah, even after the first round you could see the bruising starting to come out yeah. and like Santa had some good pullbacks off the low kick and also like with his upper body like when Santa would, when um, Nadal would burst in to throw punches like Santa would lean out of it but when he leaned back in to counter he still got hit kind of like yeah. Nadal was a hard dude to deter like if you lean away he's just going to sit there and wait for you to kind of swing back in like, and he was landing that lead hook a lot yeah. lead hook low kick Genk started to really kind of press forward and just sort of not wait too much. Like, he didn't really... I was sort of into the third round. He stopped playing that back-and-forth game and he would just continue bursting forward after Sandy leaned out or tried to circle off. He would just really, really pressure. and start, He stuck a couple of nice straight knees through the middle. So, like, uh, yeah, look, the, Santa put his hands up at the end of the fight and I could see how he could sort of, from being in there, believe he was winning. But I didn't really see him score so much as I saw him evade and deter. Like it, it didn't, it didn't feel like he won the fight. Like in terms, of like the, in terms of damage, yeah, itself and stuff like that. Like yeah, you know, like you said, it was like most of the times that he was just, he was like <clears throat> landing on the. No, no, it was just more like like just like ah, get the fuck off me, like, yeah, stay away. <laughs> it's like when, and it was, was stuff like, that would make contact, but it wouldn't exactly work. Like you throw a switch kick, but it wouldn't really push Nadal away. It was just something he had to deal with to press forward. Mm-hmm. Like the swaybacks and stuff, he was doing were pretty good, but like Nadal, it's a hard dude to like consistently get rid of I really think like in a lot of ways you can't play the evasive game with Nanawat too much because he's like too relentlessly forward like you kind of got to just set your feet and just (laughs) meet him in the middle a little bit like Like, try to find because you're not going to deter him like if you like you kind of won't frustrate Nanawat you'll just he's just waiting Pressing, pressing. He's just such a presence in the ring. Like, he's just... Even that first round when he was kind of struggling to land, he was still just pressing, 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 just confident that he's going to find his shot eventually. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened. Just, he'll find what he can. If all he can get is a low kick, he'll just get the low kick. Low he's kick. probably just figured out for this fight. Because when are they going to stop giving me these fucking tall dudes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair play, Nadal. Must but be sick of tall dudes. I was like, uh, I guess, I guess it's a bit smaller than George Mann. <laughs> I'd have to like, think so. I don't think that many 70 kilos are as tall as George Mann. <laughs> But both the semi-main and the main in this were also Muay Thai. So the top end of the card was Muay Thai. This was an interesting fight. Kongsak, PK Senchai versus the Russian, Alaverdi Ramazanov. Mm. Alaverdi Ramazanov, super tall, lanky, just such an awkward dude to fight. And his style is effective, but the super bizarre. Like, I remember, like, the first I had seen of him was he got an upset win over Pech Morikot, Pech Indy. Actually, I think that was his first fighting one. Mm. Um, and it's just, like... He trains full time in Thailand, but he has such a bizarre style. Like, doesn't look like it. Yeah, there's not not a Thai style, really. Like in terms of footing and position, but like it works really well. Like, I think if I had to describe Alaverdi's style, it would be there is no reset time. Like he's always coming at you with something. He bounces up on his feet a lot. He's like super bouncy, and then it's just like where you can kind of like say, for example, if he throws a kick and so, and there's a lean back. There's no reset and straighten back up. He's just going to follow that through and spin. Like he's going to, if you're going to press forward and try to land something around, he's just going to set back on his heels and just wing round punches. There is no kind of like circle out and take... It's it's an all work style. Like there's no pause. Like it's not like... It's just 
he's going, going, going all the time and he uses, like his cadence is kind of like, he's always doing something and he'll use his first technique to find his second technique. Like he was using some really smart feints in this fight. Like he, he's, a, he's a reasonable stance switcher. Like kind of similar like we were talking about um, Israel Adesanya's stance switching the other day. It's like this was an opposite stance fight. So I believe Alaverdi was the right-hander and Kongsak was the southpaw. I think. Yeah. So everything's... Well, like, yeah, he's got a lot of left Yeah. So, like, Alberti, like, he opens with just, like, right kick, right kick, right kick, inside leg, middle, up, just throwing it everywhere. Then he's picking up that leg, like, sort of fake kicking and then just sort of, like, jumping into the opposite stance, then just working, like, he's covering distance, like, gaining or attempting to gain Kongsar's respect with his right kick and then just building that rhythm of kick, 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 and then half a kick comes forward, but he's landing himself into the opposite stance and then just letting go with hands. Just these little bits of awkwardness that I think is like a good way to fight an experienced tie because it's not a stadium tie style of fighting. Nah. But yeah, and I think just really sort of just broke rhythm on Kong Sak a lot in that first round that caused him a little bit of confusion mm-hmm. as it would because his style is just oh, so yeah. bizarre. Like a lot of like the catching the kicks and even just blocking the kick with the forearm and coming back with like these weird punches. Like he did that one, and I think in the third round where I think he caught a kick and just landed this like just this uppercut off that catch of the kick. That uppercut. Was, he's and got a good uppercut. He's yeah, got a good right uppercut. Going, yeah, man, that's so bizarre. I've never seen that before. Yeah, because the range to cover on that is like you're at the end of somebody's kick and then yeah. to just really like he's holding the end of Conkat's leg yeah. to roll around uppercut like that is like just such a biz- like. Almost like a real classical style of coaching would tell you, like, don't do that. It's too wild. Mm. But it's just, like, the commitment to just covering that distance. And just, like, sometimes some things are so wild that they work on the basis that you don't deal with someone doing that to you. Because, like, if the consensus is that it's too wild to do, people don't do it to each other inspiring. Mm. Then you find that that's just something that works. Because you don't get used to dealing with it. But then I think Kong Sarkhan just went back to his corner. And then I think it was just about, for him, it was just about not worrying too much just about the weird angles and just trying to do his work. Because it was kind of like, I don't think you'd ever get a pretty win over Oliver Ramazanov. No like, just, it's, it's going to be an ugly fight. It's going to be a, like a beautiful fight. <laughs> yes. It's like, it's, it's good to watch in its own way though. Yeah, yeah. but just not conventionally <laughs> like. <laughs> like. I remember just watching it and I'm just going, man, it's like, you know, it's, just, it's interesting, but fuck, I hate it. <laughs> I hate the stuff. <laughs> I'm just looking at it going, ugh. But like, okay, it's effective though. But I guess when you watch like, I think it was Andrew Miller versus Alaverdi Ramazanov, he, he hit the same uppercut, but yeah. it just absolutely like sent his opponent into the heavens with it, like lifted <laughs> him up off the ground. So it's just like, you'll get like spells of really cool shit out of Alaverdi Ramazanov, yeah. but when he's fighting like a, maybe just an elite level tie, he's just going to get a bizarre kind of fight. Yeah. Because I think Kong Tuck just came out in the second round, okay, there's a lot of weird shit happening and it's not going to stop. Like, mm-hmm. I can't wait through it. Yeah. And he just start firing his left kick. Just sort of like, not dissimilar to Superlek, really. Like, just firing it, like, repeat. Just like, yeah. over and over again, but just waiting. Like, because like, I think the only thing you can 100% guarantee from Ramazanov is that, like, he's just going to come forward at you. Like, he's not like a, not like a female fighter. Like, he's not going to sit back on the ropes and try to play that kind of game. He's, he's going to chase you. Yeah. And then, like, Kongsak was just kick, kick, tie up, least kick. And then sort of like a, sort of started to get his rhythm going with that in the second round, I think just sent. And then it was actually kind of like similar to what we were just talking about through the third round. It's like Ramazanov would sort of charge forward and do a lot, but in between spells of just not being able to deal with that kick. So it was kind of like 
the pressure was all coming from Alaverdi Ramazanov, but he was getting scored on too much to be dictating the fight. He was making it super awkward for um, Kongsak, but not really scoring on his own. Like, he was throwing a lot, and but, like, Kongsak was sort of just lean himself outside, that's slide his head back. Super yeah, tie his hands back. And then he would really land clean with that. Like, not even over the arm, but under, onto the ribs with his left middle kick. So, it's like, I saw a little bit of complaint online about this decision, but I thought it was pretty straightforward. Yeah. Like, all the complaints were from Russians. <laughs> like, yeah, it was like, it was, it was a split decision as well. It was a split. And I can understand sort of it being a split because it's really, it, it can kind of depend what angle you're looking at it at, is that you have to really separate kind of like what actually happens from what people are attempting to do. Like, Alaverdi's charging forward with a lot of offense, but he's not, like, stinging Kongsak. Or when he does, like, he might sting Kongsak with, like, like that uppercut, but it's in between just getting walloped with middle kicks over and over again. Like, it doesn't undo just that consistency of just eating that middle kick over and over again. Yeah, Kongsak, uh, <coughs> I like that he made it. He made a nice adjustment to the kick there where he kicked straight away. And as soon as he kicked from that one, he just shoved Alzerdi off. So he's basically, as soon as he kicked him, he took both his hands just to shove him off. Because yeah. Alzerdi would like catch or even catch, like normal catch on it, or just even just catch on the forearms. But he always just kind of like release and throw the punches straight yeah. afterwards. So it was good, like for that, like kicked him and just basically just shove him off balance. And he was already out of the way of most of those punches. Yeah, I like that. The second, third round. Because I guess it also works in, in that way that if you. He's just going to come forward and run into that kick so much that he might eat a kick for the sake of getting in kind of dirty boxing is sort of like what he likes to do. So it's like if you kick, plant your feet and push away, that just means he's going to run into another kick. He has to cover that distance again. And that's kind of like I think what Kong Sak was finding, scoring well with that kick. Yeah, yeah good fight. Very good, good fight. wacky fight. But. <laughs> it's got all sorts. Which brings us to the main event, which is I think this is only like maybe the – second time like that they've done a super series main event i haven't seen this a heap of times i think i'd stamp fairtex main event in once oh, yeah. but yeah, yeah, I, yeah two or three times max it had uh, the legend nongo gayong hadao versus hanzi Hao, who was on a hot run of form for one some decent ko's and some big name wins like beat panix yusuf yeah. i've been enjoying watching yeah. hanzi Hao fight seems to be coming up there it's like um I don't know if he trains full time at all. I mean, even I think he does training Bangkok. Yeah, yeah, it's working well for him. The cheap man event, really. It's two Bangkok guys fighting in Bangkok. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> don't have to pay much for that one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think this is a just a good, classy win for Nongo. Like, I really enjoyed the fight. I've only watched it once, and I think for me, Nongo is one of those fighters that like I watched his fight with Fabio Pinky in one. I don't know how many times, like a bunch of times now. Like, I still kind of watch it because he's just, like, he's so tricky. Because he's so experienced and, like, fought in a really good era of Muay Thai. Like, he was coming up against the guys like Senchai and stuff like that. The two of them had an awesome fight. But Nongo just, like... But he was, like, maybe more aggressive than I thought he was going to be in this fight. Like... He was getting after it. He was tricky, but he wasn't playing games. Like, he was coming forward I really liked his elbow work like to sc- like watching Nongo sort of score that clean knockdown in the first round was really nice and I liked the way that like one thing that I think just from one watch of this fight that I I could see that Nongo had a really good read on was Han has that sort of blitzy style that you see out of a lot of Chinese fighters he likes to kind of wait for a technique to come and then burst forward and it's oftentimes with looping shots and you see the way that 
Nongo threw a lot of kicks in this fight just completely naked. Like, there was nothing to them. He would just whip that kick up. And if you watch what he does with his hands after he kicks, it was kind of like a matter of kick, and then he'd land his feet really square, like, just with his forearms up over his face to land inside a hooking shot. Like, he'd reach out, sort of post out with the arm against the shot, and then just roll an elbow over on the inside of it. So it's kind of like kicking as, like, an invitation for entry because he just is so good at just counteracting that just like wild hand style that would catch a lot of guys sort of... Because it's what like these that Han scores his knockouts off is he just blitzes forward with these like wild, super committed shots. Like they're not not wild really in like a brawling way, but like they're just ultra committed. So the way that like Nongo throws a kick, sets his feet, and then just knows he can he can sit himself on the inside of the punches so that in as that punch is coming out, because it is so round, he can just roll... The elbow's shorter than the punch. It's kind of like down, just downward over the, onto the top of Han's head. I thought that was really clean. Yeah. And then you can just see, as a fucking like, like Han Di rounds two and round three was really having a good go. And there was a little bit of debate about a knockdown. I think it was the second round. Yeah, second Kind of similar also with an elbow, I think. Or a short shot. Yeah. Mm. Where they were saying that, Look, it's like, he got hit, uh, Nongo, but he got off-balanced, and he sort of just went down, sprung straight back up. Like, he never got flattened either. He was just, like, crouched on his legs. And then the commentary was saying, like, oh, did his glove touch the ground? That's a knockdown. But that, to me, has never been the rules of a knockdown in Muay Thai. No, it's like the with the flash knockdown kind of stuff like that. It's just... It's and it's like, you know, it's also, like, the body language of all of them as well. Like, you know, when it's kind of like just a quick little stumble, like, you know, a quick little drop... And then, like, they kind of bounce back up. Because, like, most of the time, yep, keep going. Mm. It's like, you know, it's like, because, like, it, we were talking about before, it's like, um, it could have been just more so an off balance. It's, you can't tell the referee most of the times if, like, you know, if they saw a clean shot or they didn't see a clean shot yeah. in there. And if, if someone got, like, truly needs an eight count, you, you'd see it. Yeah. <laughs> they get pretty flat lined. Well, they look, they put, like, you know, stumbling around a little bit. It goes, oh, yeah, that's yeah. kind of deal. So I'd have to look into what the official ruling there is, but I think maybe just because, like, the referee understood not to make that account so maybe just commentary just don't understand yeah okay and we're back after technical difficulties like didn't notice like let's lost the half all the mics for about the last 15 minutes we talked there <laughs> it was good stuff too oh, that was all right but like um <clears throat> but like yeah we just basically like, we just from the last part of nongo that was a good fight to watch from there great fight yeah and then like um there was some good like mma bouts on that one card as well, if I just bring it up very quickly, that Trent was talking about. He can read that again, so like he can do a take two and do it even better. Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> couldn't do it worse. <laughs> From there, but oh, no, that's not the one. So, I was talking about the first. Well, the first one they put on um, YouTube. It was the first prelim that I saw. That was a uh, guy Liu from China. Let's bring that up. That was a good, um, I was talking about how it was a good come from behind kind of finish in the third round for that one. Mm-hmm. With a nice Kimura submission. Yeah. There he goes. Liu Peng Shui. I'm sorry I'm saying it. If it's wrong, too bad. Mm-hmm. And he went against um, oh. Seriga Elepitua. <laughs> That's perfect pronunciation. Yes, it Sounds right to me. You just chuck an accent on it. Yeah. Unless Seriga's here to kind of correct us, it's right. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah, that was good because Leo was um, behind for most of the fight. He even gave up his back in the second round and he was close to tapping to a rear naked choke. 
Um, it was in the third where he shot a single leg and ended up uh, on top in side control, uh, going for a Kimura submission. But he couldn't finish it and he got reversed and flipped over. And then um, he reversed again. And I was joking before how um, I was yelling at him to like step over the head to, to finish the Kimura and he didn't do that, which is why he got, he got swept over. But when he, when he regained position, because um, he just would not let it go, he would not let that Kimura go. When he finally regained it on top and he stepped over, that's when he got the tap. So that was a good, good finish because he definitely would have uh, lost that on decision that fight. So that was a good one. Uh, and the other one I caught was uh, Emilio Buratia. He's a honey badger. He's uh, from the US. Mm -hmm. I said he was a, a BJJ uh, brown belt. And he went up against uh, Yoshiki Nakahara from Japan, who's a judoka, a judo black belt. Uh, that was a good fight because they, well, like Shane was saying before, sometimes it's risky watching a stand-up fight between two grapplers because you just watch a really shit kickboxing match. But these guys just threw their hands and they had cardio for days. They just they went full for almost the, the full three rounds until uh, I can't remember how far into the third it was. But Nakahara threw a big overhand left and bombed Emilio with it. And um, pretty much um, drove him into the ground. And it was a good stoppage. It was a TKO, but um, the, uh, the referee did, did a good job and he jumped in when he needed to. So, um, yeah, that was a couple of good MMA fights I caught under one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and the uh, Nongo fight was good too. Yes, of course. And then, like, um, next week, one's doing a <clears throat> uh, another event called The Greatness. In Singapore, uh, February 22nd, which is a Friday, and starts 6 p.m. in Singapore time. From there, God knows what time that's going to start in Australia. I think that's 10. 10? <sighs> Too late. Too late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's on YouTube. Watch it in the morning. That's it. And a couple of ones that, like, um, the watch them there, like, you know, so we've got Imanari, Leglock Master, he's back on back on the scene again for one, having a lot of fights with him against Kwong Won Lee from South Korea, so that's a good one to watch in the prelims. And the top of the prelims there is a super series kickboxing lightweight match against Regan Erskill versus Anthony and you say here I can't Nick and Jokowani. And Jokowani. Say it again. Jokowani. I think I did it. That's racist. He's American. Everybody says he's from Nigeria So like yeah, we we talked about like Regan Erskill before like you know before a cut off and it should be a good match. Yeah, it's a good match. Yeah. To watch. Um it's probably part of like a they said they've got a tournament cup kickboxing tournament. No, the kickboxing tournament's at seventy kilo. Ah, okay. Like it's pretty sad. Mm -hmm. But okay. I believe region fights at like seventy seven. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Fair enough. And that's in the ten ounce gloves. Well, it's be seen. Well, yeah. It doesn't really seem like anything that's like really strictly pre planned. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> So, um, so starting the main card though is uh, another. So it seems to be all kickboxing this one, except for the main event. But the super series kickboxing, the flyweight division, is Masa Heidi uh, Kudo versus Pechdan Pechendi Academy, which is always good to uh, see. But it's like um, interesting enough. It is a kickboxing match. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever seen Pechdan fight kickboxing before, but mm. like his style suits are fine. Yeah, which well, is a big kicker. Yeah, he's. Okay, huge kicker. And he will not do anything else if you don't make him. Mm -hmm. Like, I think he's only thrown left kicks in his whole one career so far. Yeah. They're like, yeah, it's like not a lot of his fights go very long. No. <laughs> I was like, I only need one. He's the sniper. Uh, and then the Super Series kickboxing, there's another lightweight uh, fight halfway through the main card. So, one of the legends, Nicky Holtzkin, 
from the Netherlands, takes on Mustafa Haider uh, from Italy. Uh, I really haven't seen... I can't really remember much of Mustafa's fight, but like, um, you reckon it's going to be a good one, Nikki? That's a good fight. It's like, I think, particularly after watching Nikki's fight with Cosmo, like, he really seems to be kind of like... Like, he's woken up a bit. Like, a lot of his... The end of his run with Glory, he was kind of disinterested. Like, sort of just plotting and... Like, he had some real lackluster fights, but against Cosmo, he's super hungry. Like, I I haven't seen in a good number of years Nikki really fight for the knockout the way he did Mm -hmm. against Cosmo. So this is a good fight. Like, this is just going to be a meet-in-the-middle-and-go kind of fight. Yeah. And it'll be a good one to just, you know, another good test for Nikki against, like, a younger guy. Mm. Yeah. I gotta see. Well, it's just, like, you know, just getting those fights on his belt in one from there. And, like, you know, just, like, it's most of the time, like, it might be weird for him as well, just kind of fighting in Asia a lot. Yeah. And they're supposed to, like, most of the time just being in uh, Europe. Like, you know, getting his home. Yeah. Uh, and then the main event is, uh, is a Muay Thai fight, which is good like, to see. Like, actually, Muay Thai seems to be headlining a lot of these cards now. Mm. Um, it's a women's atom late fight, so defending cha- uh, so with the champion Stamp Fairtex, Thailand versus uh, Janet Todd from the United States. Um, uh, he, you've heard Janet Todd a little bit. Yeah, she's pretty highly touted coming out of the US, like one of their sort of biggest prospects mm-hmm. making her way onto the international scene. Yeah. And uh, Stamp Fairtex is kind of like edging towards becoming sort of superstar. Mm-hmm. So she's super popular. Yeah. Find out the fame Fairfax camp. Mm-hmm. And it should be interesting, like we were saying before, like, you know, the, the la- like all last card that we just recovered, Clash of Legends, like all the Muay Thai fights were in the small gloves. So maybe if they hopefully they're kind of sticking uh, sticking to their formula now. They're like, man, we'll put all the Muay Thai fights in small gloves from there and like, you know, gets a lot more action and it kind of suits a lot of the clinching style as well. Yeah. Yeah. So... So yeah, so basically that's all we have. Like we did cover a little bit of Bellator before, but fuck, we're not going to go down that well of depression again. No, no, it's probably good as a believe. Yeah, we actually. deserve that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Mitrione ended his fight 15 seconds in with a massive nut shot. Yep, the Sergey yeah. Karakhanov. Early front yeah. runner for nut shot of the year. Yeah, yeah. the Muay Thai guys fucking didn't like it that we <laughs> were talking about Bellator, <laughs> and, they, and they punished us good. <laughs> uh, other quick news as well, like um, in boxing, Anthony Joshua just announced in. Was it in July, I think it was, that he's going to fight big baby Jarrell Miller. Jarrell Miller is on a, like, he's 32-0. and 0. Uh, He's knocked out his last couple of opponents. Hasn't fought anyone in the top 30 yet. Yeah, this is kind of a joke. And, like, you know, it's like, yeah, and I saw, like, big baby style just comes out behind his gloves. He, he, he uses the front hand, kind of lead a bit to kind of draws it, and then usually disregards it pretty quick and just goes behind the earmuffs and just kind of waddles in and just, like, you know, just, oh, I'll start banging the body and banging the head. So I'm expecting this is going to be like a, a massacre of like uh, Jarrell Miller. Miller. <coughs> um, but I think why they did it for it because it's going to be Anthony Josh's like uh, debut fight in the US. Yeah. So a bit of a highlight reel for, fight for him. Yeah, I guess like best case scenario for Joshua's people is Wilder knocks out Fury and then Joshua knocks out Miller and then they do that in the States. Yeah. It's like, well, we'll see how it goes though. It's like, it's like, you know, especially when it's like Dante Wilder versus Tyson Fury, you're leaving it up there pretty like, you Yeah, know. like, that's not something you can really bank on. No. Nah. <laughs> like, it's not like, these aren't two sure thing matches. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could call Joshua versus Miller a sure thing. Yep. But as close to a sure thing matches you can make. But the other side of the bracket is mm-hmm. very much up in the air. Yep. So then, like, um, it's probably like smart on Joshua's side as well. This goes, we'll let those two do another rematch. Oh, we'll do, do a rematch from there. Bang themselves up. So when I get the winner, someone's going to be pretty beat up yeah. <laughs> by the time I get them. 
<laughs> and he's, he's probably going against, I hope it's still wilder though. <laughs> yeah, they are not interested in Fire and Fury, it seems. Like, yeah, like, who would be? Like, you know, it's, it's like it's, he's an interesting dude, he can sell a fight, but like, man, his style is just, it's just too too awkward. Too yeah. Awkward, yeah. Too, I guess too big, too janky. <laughs> too much going on. Yeah, there's a lot of shit to get through Fire and Fury, but... Uh. <laughs> okay, and I think that should do us this week from there. All right, so <clears throat> remember to... Uh, you know, subscribe to us and rate review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and all other podcast platforms. Follow us on Instagram at Enter the Double Dragon. Um, also, follow us on Twitter. It's I figured it out now. It's at Double Underscore Enter. That's what they gave me. <laughs> yeah, so like, you know, double Enter. But you can like you know you can just just search by us Enter the Double Dragon podcast and you'll find us as well from there. All right. Until next time, make sure if you see Hugh, say Happy Birthday to him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you later. See ya. See ya. Bye.